The Tablet Show, episode 31, with guest Josh Clark, recorded live Thursday, April 19th, 2012. From thetabletshow.com, it's The Tablet Show, conversations about developing software for tablets and other mobile devices with your hosts, Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. In this episode, Carl and Richard talk to Josh Clark about next-generation interfaces. This episode of The Tablet Show is sponsored by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much, and welcome back to The Tablet Show. It's Carl and Richard. And uh, what's up, buddy? Not too much, my friend. You know, we keep whacking away at all these shows. It's been a busy week for us. But, uh, you know, the conference season in the spring's lighting up. We're going to be at NDC. We're going to be at TechEd. It's all good. Yeah, it's all good. It's uh, going back to Sweden again, to Ordev, later mm-hmm. in the year. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and there's some really good things coming up that we're going to be involved in, and I can't talk about them right now. But no. I just wanted to tease people. Yeah. Don't worry, we're working hard for you. This great announcement's coming this year, and we'll be a part of them. We're not dead yet. <laughs> <laughs> Still alive over here. All right, Richard, let's start with Better Know a Framework. Okay. Better Know a Community, Better Know a Blog Post. I don't know what we're calling this thing anymore. Stuff you need to know. All I know is I like the theme song. Well, I, you know, there's so much stuff out there that we want people to know about, and we're, we sort of act as a filter. This is sort of like an audio blog, if you will. Mm-hmm. All right. So anyway. What do you got? I went looking for a pixel shader effects library for WPF. Really? And I found one on CodePlex. Of course you did. And it looks like it's pretty popular. The page is WPFFX, the letter F, the letter X, dot CodePlex.com. So it's a library with effects for WPF and Silverlight applications. And the effects include... Banded Swirl, Bloom, and I don't know what these mean, but you might. Bright Extract, Color Key Alpha. Well, that is kind of, all right, we can understand that. Color Tone, Contrast Adjust, Directional Blur, Embossed, Gloom, Global Poisson Disk Effect. I don't know what that is. Invert Color, Light Streak, Magnify, Monochrome, Pinch, Pixelate, Ripple, Sharpen, Smooth Magnify, Twirl, Tone, Tune, and Zoom Blur. All right. Zoom blur. Zoom blur. Then there's a video on channel nine. Uh, requires .NET 3.5 SP1 and DirectX SDK at compile time. And it also uses the shader effects build task and templates from the WPF futures samples mm-hmm. at codeplex.com slash WPF. Pretty cool looking stuff. So if you're if you want to spice up your apps with some really cool effects, there you go. So uh, no comments lately on the tablet show because we just put the comments engine on the tabletshow.com. Indeed. So now we, we used to have folks sending us emails at dotnet rocks at franklins.net, but now we have a comments engine, amazingly, on the tabletshow.com. So go to any of the shows that you've enjoyed and write us a comment, good or bad. We read them all. And if we do read your comment, we'll send you a mug, a rare and precious tablet show mugs. I have one at home. I drank my coffee out of it this morning. I have one of the old .NET Rocks blue mugs. Yeah, those are cool. They're, and they're precious. There's they're, not very many of them anymore. You can't get them. We yeah, took them so, off the store. Yeah, they're, they're out. They're rare. 
They are rare. One of my favorite mugs. Well, anyway, leave us a comment at uh, thetabletshow.com. We'll be sure to read. We read them all. Whether we read them on the show, that's another story. Mm -hmm. So with that, let's introduce Josh Clark. Josh is a designer specializing in mobile design strategy and user experience. He's the author of Tapworthy, Designing Great iPhone Apps from O'Reilly 2010 and best iPhone apps also from O'Reilly in 2009 Josh's outfit Global Moxie great name god I love that name Global Moxie offers consulting services training and product invention workshops to help create organizations build tapworthy mobile apps and effective websites before the internet swallowed him up Josh was a management consultant at Monitor Group in Cambridge Mass and before that producer of a national PBS program at Boston's WGBH. He shared his three words of Russian with Mikhail Gorbachev, strolled the ranch with Nancy Reagan, hobnobbed with Rockefellers, and wrote trivia questions for a primetime game show. In 1996, he created the uber-popular Couch to 5K, C25K running program, which has helped millions of skeptical would-be exercisers to take up jogging. His motto is the same for fitness as it is for software user experience. No pain, no pain. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Josh. Hey, great to be here. I'm wondering if you can run that that gloom or grovel filter on me that you mentioned. It's, dun, it's, sort dun, of, dun. it's kind of very exciting. They're, they're, they're both independently fantastic, the gloom filter and the grovel filter. <laughs> grovel i don't even know what that was what that was all about but uh there should be like a grimace feature in there too just sort of right in between those two well there's like cloudy and crumble oh these are transition effects they even talk about those but you have like cloudy crumble you know least bright great words yeah that, that was always the adjective used for me by the way in school <laughs> <laughs> my superlative so you are all about newy that's me. I'm I am a Nui guy. Well, you know, I mean, I, I think that you know whether whether we realize it or not, just about anybody who's involved with with touch or speech or or these what you'd call non traditional interfaces, you know, the, the stuff that's all emerging in the last year or two mm. is a is a Nui person. This natural UI, which is just. Um, start to uh, help to create interfaces uh, either through design or development um, that help people communicate with machines the way we naturally do rather than having to communicate with them on the machine level, which has historically yeah. been what we've forced, been forced to do. And I think people tend to uh, look at the stuff that's available now and think, well, you know, that's okay, but uh, it's, not, it's not practical. I mean, to sit and talk to your computer today or to stand in front of it and wave your hands around is just you know not comfortable and you might as well just pick up the keyboard and mouse for most people but but i tell people and i remind people all the time we're just getting started here yeah we are just getting started i mean what's really interesting right you think about the connect i mean part of the charm of it why it's such a great gaming platform is frankly it doesn't work very well yet you know, I mean, yeah, part of the game right. is like is trying to figure out how to sort of, you know, trick the system into understanding you and doing the right thing. So, yeah. you know, definitely true. You don't want to operate any nuclear power plants, you right. know, with that technology yet. Yeah, we weren't too happy about the guys who had built a connect interface to drive a car. Yeah, no, yeah. no don't do right. that. That's not a right. good idea. Yeah, right, 
Right. You got to do that out on the salt flats. And even though the Connect for Windows has near mode, which people misunderstand, the near mode really only works in in the mode that gives you the, the, the depth map. It doesn't really work in the skeletal map. In fact, it only tracks the center hip joint in skeletal, you know, in the skeleton in well, near mode. So it's not like you can sit at your desk and raise your fingers and it's going to you flip at the bird and it's going to yell at you. You know, it doesn't recognize that. It's a it's strictly a pelvis tracker, which is strictly a pelvis tracker. All kinds of yeah. opportunities in certain industries. <laughs> and you know, those industries drive technology sometimes, uh, most of the time historically, but who knows what's going to happen. I, I, you know, I've obviously I'm, I'm doing a lot of work with the connect these days and, and also a lot with speech. And I got to tell you that speech is fun, but, uh, still takes a quite a bit of thought and programming in order to get the speech recognition stuff to work in a natural way. I mean, if you think about like the Uber example of speech recognition is Star Trek, right? Because the Kirk is on the bridge and he's having all these conversations and doing these Shakespearean soliloquies and stuff. Meanwhile, the computer's obviously listening to every word he says because it's waiting for its cue. And its cue is computer, right? And then it goes, right. right. It's kind of like how Xbox works. Yeah. All right. Sort of, you know, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that right there, you know, Roddenberry was thinking, well, if a computer is going to recognize me talking, it, you know, we can't have it just interrupting you when you're not talking to it. It doesn't have eyes. It's not, doesn't know you're not addressing it. So he had this keyword that just sort of woke it up. And the other things like if you just use the speech recognition with, um, you just say a uh, simple grammar. I want to recognize these commands and you put it in there. Well, if you say those commands as part of a sentence, it'll fire, yeah. you know, maybe right. your command is turn off the light, but maybe um, it's listening. And I say, so when I issue the turn off the light command, it goes up, oh, turn off the light. <laughs> yeah. The lights are off. Have you seen that 30 rock episode where, uh, Jack Donaghy is, is showing off his new speech controlled, you know, television or DVR system that he's, he's come up with. No, that sounds great. Yeah. Well, so, so the idea is he's, he's showing it and it's like, it's working great, you know, turn on, turn off, change the channel, but then it starts responding to the things that people are saying in the (laughs) TV show. Yeah, you know, it's like wow. Well, I, I really think that it should be much louder uh, in this room. <laughs> yeah. and, well, no, no, I'm just going to go home and delete everything on the DVR before I go out. You know, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> all these things that sort of go. It's the uh, yeah. I bet you can find that on YouTube for the show notes. But the thing is, is that's real. Like, if you don't, if you don't have something in there to, you know, a flag that says while I'm playing an audio, stop recognizing my voice. It's yeah. gonna fire. It does listen to itself. So you, yeah. you have to have a flag in there when you're playing audio. That's really tricky. And, you know, and for that matter, it's just, you know, whether or not the thing still works. And when you look at sort of maybe the most mainstream deployment of this so far with, uh, you know, I, I assume it's probably the case, is with Siri, you know, on, on iPhone. Yep. You've got just regular civilians now using this stuff for the first time. I think that, you know, quite a lot of hilarity ensues when you let <laughs> Siri actually transcribe your text messages and you send them out unedited. You know, it's still pretty janky. The funniest thing was Miguel Castro comes up to me and says, Hey, Carl, check this out. Siri, where can I get a hooker? <laughs> nice. <laughs> it said the closest prostitutional play, whatever. I don't know. It came up with something, yeah. but it was yeah. hilarious. 
Of course, you know, it's like when, when you ask, uh, when you ask Siri where, where babies come from and it starts <laughs> to tell you about the baby stores that are nearby. Nice. You know, oh, it's appropriate <laughs> and creepy. <laughs> but you know, it's the stuff is, uh, is, it still doesn't work great. You know, I mean, I would say that, that touch finally became, you know, really mature and affordable and generally viable for mainstream use, you know, really just a few years ago. We've yep. had multi-touch in theory since, since what, the, the 80s or, or around 1990 or so. I was looking at the, um, what was his name? Jeff Ron, something like that. Mm. The guy who did the original multi-touch demo on TED, which was published February of 2006. So that was the mm. clear glass plate where you could put all 10 fingers down and draw on the screen, right. that whole effect. We showed that on Mondays. Yeah, that was February of 2006. iPhone ships uh, spring 2007. Yeah, right. Which I think is really what put it in the mainstream. Right. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I mean, if you think about it, the iPhone, even though it was one of the first commercial devices to have multi-touch, wasn't actually a truly multi-touch device in practice, just because right. we don't use it that way. You know, for a handheld device, you've really got to have two hands in order to do multi-touch on it, one to hold the device and the other to do your multi-touch gesture. Because, yeah. you know, if you're holding a phone in one hand, unless you have some crazy claw grip, you know, you're really <laughs> working it with your thumb. Yeah, uh, and in the, the small screen, it's just not very pleasing. Except for very simple pinch gestures to uh, to do multi touch. So it's really tablets that are really the first, you know, and and the iPad in particular, since that's sort of far and away the market leader here. It's really the first opportunity that we get to experiment in a real way with mainstream touch based gestures. It has the size and sort of requires two handed use um, to really be able to explore how we can use the whole realm of of uh, not only the, the, the simple gestures that we know now, relatively primitive gestures like tap, swipe, pinch, but to start to experiment with more abstract gestures. And when you get into that when you're looking at using an app with five or even ten fingers at a time you're starting to create something that's a lot more like an instrument uh, yeah. that, that, you know software that you play more than you use um, and that's really um, pretty interesting not only in terms of the, the possibilities of the interactions that you can create but also the the way that you start to think about your information uh, and uh, uh, and the way that, that users do, too, and sort of relationship to software is very different. Well, I tell you, I've been forced recently to think of good examples of um, Connect-based applications because this is what I get in the press. You know, I tell somebody, you know, I just wrote this gesture pack thing. It takes all the programming off the table for gesture recognition. And they say, great, what kind of app would you use that for in Windows? You know, that's the first question. So naturally, I've had a bit of time to think about this. And... I did come up with a few. First of all, you, there's the obvious sort of medical room or clean room, you know, where you can't touch anything uh, and you want to interface with a computer, you know, that kind of thing, where you're in a, yeah. maybe a doctor is, um, wants to flip x-rays or zoom in x-rays and he just wants to be able to move his hand without having to really get out of the patient. But what about uh, industrial controllers, you know, things that you would typically have to move knobs and levers and things for to be able to be working on something and without leaving your post, just sort of turn to the right or something like that and wave your hand. And I can imagine a screen with a bunch of big dials on it that are gauges of some kind or levers. And as you move your hand from left to right, you're snapping to those dials so that you're clearly 
you know exactly where you're moving to, right? And then once you do that, you push your hand forward a little bit and then you start to rotate it or move it up and down. And now you're actually changing the values of those things right there. That's actually controlling some sort of piece of equipment. You know, I can see that in any environment where you can't just leave your post, go sit down at a computer, you know, squint and create, you know, do some crazy buttons and UI and sliders and stuff where you need to, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think that that's a great point. I mean, if you think about how we use you know, these kinds of you know, natural expressive gestures in the real world to communicate with other people, it often is, I mean, there's, often, there's, there's a subtle kind of conversational gestures that we use as we wave our hands as we talk. Yeah. But a big part of it is, is signaling to people from a distance. And yeah. you know, I, I think the more and more that we have machines that are able to understand uh, human gesture, facial expression, sound, touch, all these things that we use to, to communicate mm. person to person all the time, that we should start to think about, wow, how, how do maybe we should start thinking of the, per- the computer as being a little bit more human in that way and, yeah. and, how do, and, and using that communication in similar ways that we use with humans. So I think you're exactly right that thinking about it as a distance that the new remote control is just waving at your machine. Right, and there's another example I thought of. I'm a musician and a guitar player, and gear for guitar players is notoriously bad design. It's basically we have pedals, you know, we have pedals, we set, we change settings like the amount of delay that we want and the type of reverb that we want and how much we want and how much distortion to turn up and how much drive and gain and EQ and all these settings. But then when we're actually playing, we can turn them on, turn them off. You know what I'm saying? We have pedals and nobody wants to play a chord and reach down and adjust something right on the floor. So, uh, you know, and to have software that does it has always been a pain because you're playing. You don't want to go to a laptop and grab the mouse and move stuff around. Or if you have touch, it's a little bit better. But, you know, what if you wanted to change a sound just by rotating your hand or moving your hand while you're playing? Like, you don't even have to pretty much take your hand off the guitar. You just hold it to the side and make a gesture and you're changing stuff in real time. So the device is, is kind of literally in midair wherever you need in it. Midair, that that's yeah. it. So, you know, you when you're thinking about the applications for these things, think about situations that people are in where they would normally like to interact with anything that works with a computer, but they're just physically not able to access a computer at that point. Yeah. You know what? One thing that's really exciting too uh, that I think is going to be—I mean, we, we've got our hands full thinking of all of these things individually. You know, we've got all these things that are you know racing out of sci-fi and into the realm of reality in quick succession with touch and speech and gesture and facial recognition, all these sort of things. And we are at the moment dealing with them all independently because it's kind of all we can handle to figure out one of them at a time. But it seems like the next generation. Uh, and literally probably in the generation, in the next 10 years, the interesting challenge is going to be, wow, now we can combine these into interesting ways. Systems that can switch quickly between speech and touch and gesture or in combinations of them, which is, you know, how we understand things and interpret information as, as humans, you know, so it's, um, it's exciting and a little daunting. I mean, because we're sort of starting to try to build these uh, human or at least humane input systems that can use all these human forms of communication, um, which is a little bit like building a little person, although, you know, it's still 
we're not very good at it yet, you know. So even with touch, which is probably the most mature of all of these, but certainly with speech and with gesture, it feels a little bit like communic- communicating a little bit with an with an autistic child, you know. It sort of doesn't always get through in the right way, uh, and it takes a re- lot of patience and effort to communicate with these um, sort of diminished senses that we've created. This portion of the tablet show is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems, all of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting the tablet show. I'm starting to struggle more and more with the idea of that quote unquote natural user interface. Pinch and spread are not natural. In the real world, you can't do that to a picture. That's true. Right? But it's a learned gesture. And there's nothing wrong with a learned gesture. You know, we learn to hold a pen, too. To me, it doesn't strike me as natural, yet everybody's got it. You know, now we're trying to, now we got two-year-olds trying to pinch and spread magazines. Right, right. You know, I I think that's right, is, is, uh, you know, I encounter this a lot with, with touch, right, is that... Uh, you know, one of the the big guidances from from Apple for iPad is you know make these realistic physical interfaces that are at once familiar and so we know how to operate them because of their physicality, but also um, these emotional connotations. And, and while I think that that's something that can help, it's sort of fraught with all kinds of problems when you go down the skeuomorphic design route of of aping a physical object. It, mm-hmm. it can get really tricky really quickly. But I think one thing that's especially interesting is, you know, is while we should think about the physicality of things, it doesn't necessarily have to be true blue physicality. As you mm-hmm. say, you know, the good luck stretching that paper map uh, by by spreading your fingers across it. But it responds with a sort of a, a true feeling physicality that one of the interesting opportunities is – wow, what if this data was physical, was sitting on my desk, and I could stretch it and nudge it and zoom into it and explode it into a thousand pieces? You know, is is that's the interesting thing, is reinventing data and information as something that you can manipulate with your with your fingers on a screen or with gestures through a connect and, and so on. It's uh, exciting, but it doesn't necessarily have to be too literal in its physicality. It just has to respond physically. And, when I, and it got such a grin. I'll, I'll add the link here to Jeff Hand's multi-touch demo from Ted, which again was only 2006. He's doing what is the, the canonical example, the pile of photos on the screen, and he sorts them out, makes them bigger and smaller. And the place is giving him a standing ovation. Yeah. And now... Everybody does that. Right. Ho-hum. It's not a big deal. It'd be as excited as grabbing a mouse and dragging it across the screen, picking up a window and moving it. What's interesting yeah. is Microsoft Research was doing Surface before, way before that video. 
So, you know, the, the stuff was being done. It just wasn't public. Well, and, and a lot of it just still felt like science fiction. Oh, sure, you can make that in your fancy lab and sell yeah. it for $100 bajillion, $11 billion. <laughs> but, but, you know, when it's, when it's actually on a device that, man, I can buy and pay for. You know, it's uh, it's really exciting, and you know what really excites me too is is this future where uh, you know the devices can start to talk to each other or can download apps opportunistically by environment and need that the that the device morphs and shape shifts according to what other devices tell it or in proximity or so on. And I'm sure you guys have, have you had a chance to play with those Siftio cubes? No, what is that? No, I saw that though, but I didn't play with it. They're 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 affordable-ish, but still pricey for a toy. For like 150 bucks, you can get like three of these Siftio cubes, or you can buy more for like 45 And they're essentially these networked little play cubes, toy cubes, each with a screen, and they can talk to each other and detect each other's proximity. So... Uh, essentially, it runs over the, the software runs over Wi-Fi. So you load it up on your on your desktop or your PC, and uh, and then it it talks. The, your computer talks to the talks to these little cubes. And so there's all these games that you can play. You can play word games where you sort of race boggle like to push to to put all these words together of cubes and it detects when you've formed a word in a row or you can have little um puzzles that you create by putting them all around or little characters that run around between cubes and you can actually shake them like a like a salt and pepper shaker shake one character down into another cube because they've got uh, accelerometers in them and they've got some some bluetooth stuff for proximity and wi-fi obviously and they're dumb they're dumb screens um you know all the all the brains or the OS is happening in your your computer, but there are these things where little cubes, these little toys, are talking to each other, and you think, "Wow, I just had wooden blocks when I was a kid." You know, ah, it's yeah, it's pretty good. That is cool. Smart cubes. What do we know about Windows Eight and uh, and the kind of newy stuff that Microsoft is doing? I certainly don't have any inside info other than what uh, what we've seen in the in the early betas, and you know a lot of it is just really interesting and exciting you know it's um it's exciting in the sense just just to start with that windows is you know that microsoft is experimenting with this at all on windows i mean in windows you know this is the right. the primary community computing platform for the world and the the shift of introducing um touch and other gesture forms into windows itself suggests wow we really are moving into this this uh, grand form. I mean, I worry, frankly, that it's it's going to feel a little bit Frankenstein mashing together old windows and new windows. Uh, that that's going to be a bumpy ride for a while. Um, Rachel Hinman, who who I think is a especially bright person, thinking about um, mobile and so forth, you know, describes this valley between GUI and NUI, this sort of awkward chasm to cross um, as we have these really entrenched desktop GUI conventions. That um, you know we're going to try to combine with mixed success with with newy things, and it's uh, it'll be a little messy for a while. But I do see we seem to be building a break. Uh, certainly, Windows Eight the, between their sort of classic mode and the Metro mode, mm. and getting rid of Chrome. And I've come to appreciate now that Chrome is simply decoration for mice. So <laughs> yeah, right. you don't it's have a mouse, it. you really don't need that Chrome. It's not accessible by the finger. Goodness knows. Yeah. Well, what's interesting, I think, is uh, yeah. 
I, I think you're right at that. And, and one of the big um, struggles that we have as software designers is the more features you put in, the more controls you need. And yeah. so you get this, uh, you know, if there's you've probably seen those, those those photos of what happens when Microsoft Word has all of its toolbars open, you know, it fills the whole <laughs> screen. And it just seems ridiculous. The whole uh, app is toolbars. Yeah, right. Right, exactly. <laughs> Uh, and you know, with 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 touch, with natural gesture, you know, we have the opportunity to have features without that Chrome. The trick, though, of course, is how do you teach those invisible gestures? How do you make yeah. them obvious and discoverable? Especially when you start to want to get into some more advanced features and shortcuts. Um, and frankly, I think games are the place to look at this. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, and I would say for teaching any kind of new gesture or 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 any kind of new software environment, for that matter, you know, game designers are way ahead of other software designers on on that stuff, I think. You know, in a lot of games, you just, uh, you don't even know what your goal is when you start the game, let alone what, you know, your abilities are or um, uh, what obstacles you might run into. And instead, the game actually shows you as you go and, and takes you from novice to expert to master uh, through you know very explicit levels but thinking about that is how do you provide contextual help by observing how far the user has gotten what features they've encountered or not to give them not a clippy like experience you know do you want to write a letter uh, but you know a really helpful contextual help that that shows you how to use these new gestures um, and, and especially you know to, to become a, uh, an expert at this from going from, from uh, hunt and pack to touch typing, you know, it's sort of a similar progression in a sense. Well, and it seems like touch typing is going to be an obsolete skill soon, but it begs the question, what does the work practice look like in a sort of touch centric device and tablet world? How, yeah. how do you well, work? You know, I think frankly that, that sometimes clumsy inputs like writing, like keyboard, mm-hmm. are useful. I mean, it's useful to slow down and and have to think and put these things in one letter at a time uh, for some forms of of expression, right? I mean, I uh, I've written a couple of books, and I'm I find writing to be horrible and painful and soul destroying and and <laughs> <laughs> all these things that I think are probably a lot of other writers feel, uh, and it takes me a long time to get the words out and I, yeah. I can't just dictate it you know i wish that i could i wish that it was a matter of just being oh, i'm going to talk for three hours and i've got a book done um so you know i think that even though there are easier input methods like that i think there's still going to be a role for the classics for writing and for typing just because they make our brains work in different ways yeah, yeah. I, I don't think basic data entry is going to go away i just think that the uh, I, it, it hit me that the office has been reshaped to reflect the computer, not the other way around. Yeah, yeah, fair that, enough. That there was desks before there were computers on desk, but look at any work desk today where the computer isn't the central focus of that desk. Right, 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 right. Or, or, or old, you know, you watch Mad Men and the whole center of the building is taken over by the typing pool, right? Yeah. The, the technology of the day uh, uh, takes care of that, yeah. And that the challenges we were talking about with Billy is adapting your 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 personal mythology of what applications should be and how they should function user interface wise to the technology of the day. And that's yeah. difficult to do. I mean those those habits are burned in, you know, putting everything that on is, one screen. For that is very true. And, and, you know, I mean, part of it is sort of there's assumptions that we just need 
certain technology, right? I mean, I think Steve Jobs had a good line. I think maybe it was when the iPad came out. It was basically talking about, you know, there are cars and there are trucks now. Used to be, you know, all cars, trucks, you know, but only a few people need trucks, meaning PCs at this point, whereas most people buy with with cars with much slower devices whether those are phones or tablets or whatever the next thing is that we haven't even imagined yet and that's the thing to remember too is you know we're very focused on these pieces of glass right now that's attached to a a a laptop computer or desktop or these little slabs that we carry around in our pockets yeah you know i think most of us me included have very little imagination about what might come next well you must have seen the google glasses demo yep yeah, sure. And that and that seems that seems rather clumsy right now, right? But it's yeah. a, definitely an interesting thing of wow, what's what's coming next? Um, I mean, when, what, I guess when I say clumsy, what I mean is, and this goes back to sort of talking about Kirk and how you have to talk to the computer in this sort of stilted way in order to say, "Hey, computer, I'm talking to you." Um, some of the the sort of head gestures that are required, it sort of seems a little bit like, "Oh, I have to actually behave like a robot for the machine to." understand me yeah uh, which is it's still mighty cool it's still right out of sci-fi but it's also not not yet to that fluid motion of of being able to have the computer understand us as as humans yeah i'm still going to go after the natural user interface thing because to an awful lot of people keyboard and mouse is pretty darn natural yeah you know they've gotten very very used to it whatever you're comfortable with is what's actually natural well, you know, sure, that's that's definitely true. And there's one thing for sure is when you press the space bar, you get ASCII character 32 <laughs> every time. Every time. You know? When Unless you, you marked it any key. When you wave your hand, well, what's the sun look like right now? Where's the light coming from? And, you know, and when you say, you know, next, sometimes it won't hear you. Sometimes it thinks you said, you know, best or whatever. Or- or if you say next accidentally, that's right. I mean, yeah. you know, push button machines require intention. They rely on it. Yeah. And uh, divining intention is, is something that's a lot harder for machines to do. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the big challenge for us, all of us, is to use our imagination to um, imagine the user interfaces of the future without just by taking away, th- consider yourself in the future now. And, you know, take away the constraints of that we've been burdened with, frankly, for years about memory, about speed, number of processors, about all of those things and uh, take away the constraints of keyboard and mouse and and literally think up something new. Yeah. 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 And, you know, one one thing, I mean, you know. I will say that I'm not sure that I'm not seeing around the corner. If you had told me five years ago that, you know, uh, a, a glass phone with no buttons would be playing a significant role in our technology future, I would have said you were nuts. But uh, w- one thing, you know, just, just looking at sort of a short term with screens that I think is exciting, and I, I sort of mentioned this before in talking about these Siftio cubes, is machines that talk to each other. I mean, these dumb little screens that you can play with where the the actual app is running on a nearby computer. And I look at, you know, you go into a Best Buy now and there's all these, all these TVs with little operating systems on them that are standalone. And as you think about more and more things getting operating systems, it, it sort of wears me out a little bit because it's all to wrestle with all these different 
systems that we encounter now. And I think what I'd like now is since I, I carry around this powerful networked computer in my pocket all the time, is I think I'd like more dumb screens that just happen to be able to light up. You know, the TV can run apps off of my off of my phone or off of my tablet. And I can go through my day to a whole bunch of dumb screens or dumb inputs might be and it just lights up and and talks and gets all the information and and frankly all the smarts from the cpu that i have with me yeah the the horsepower in the average cell phone now average smartphone anyway you should be able to just put it in a cradle and and hook a keyboard mouse and display to it it's got enough capability right for a certain size of display anyway right and what if you don't even have to hook it up you know just what if it just worked it just shows up in the room and recognizes the ex- potential extension devices that are around it and, and uses them. Yeah. And, you know, maybe you give some sort of voice cue or, you know, punch a few, you know, virtual buttons on the screen or something, but uh, to show that you actually want it to light up. But um, that seems exciting to me. It seems much more exciting than, you know, I mean, I mean, right now I've got one of these sort of by accident, really, one of these internet enabled TVs. And I never use it because I prefer, you know, hooking up a, a boxy box or a Roku or an Apple TV to the thing instead and letting right. something else be its brain because it's a better brain. It's like, wow, I've actually already got a pretty good brain in my pocket. I don't mean to say I'm doing all my thinking in my pants, but that's sort of what it's not about. <laughs> uh, I did see a a Kickstarter project for mounting your phone in your car properly, specifically your iPhone, to use it for your music device, for your navigation device, and so forth, just a proper cradle so that you snap it in. Yeah. I laughed because I I had you how long I've got all those features built into my car. My biggest annoyance is when I get in my car, all the addresses I want to go to are in my phone, not in my car. Yeah, right. And there's no good way for me to move that address into the car. I end up typing it out, which makes me angry. Yeah. Yeah. But if my phone was that device, if the car didn't have the smarts, it just had the screens and the GPS devices and that kind of things, then this wouldn't be a big, it'd be a trivial issue. It's the same thing. I just say, go there and the car knows the rest. Yeah. yeah. You know, that example really reminds me of this thing. I don't know. It came out maybe a month or two ago. Do you guys see this? Corning, uh, the glass people, the folks who make the Gorilla Glass that go yeah. into uh, all these devices came out with this you know kind of concept video uh, a day made of glass or something like that they did one of these a year ago and they did an update this year and that's really what they're pushing is is this idea that wow what if a dashboard were made of glass and it just detected your tablet and the whole dashboard could change over you know it's like oh oh a kid to school it's a hello kitty dashboard or it changes from a navigation dashboard to an entertainment dashboard yeah um that the whole thing you know if if you have this these smart screens you know can just uh, or or really dumb screens that where the cpu comes from elsewhere or the yeah. operating space comes elsewhere i think we're at the beginning of a movement my friends we're going to define right here and that is too many cpus not enough dumb screens <laughs> that's it that's stop it. putting the smarts into every device we just need a few things that are smart and everybody else has to listen well you know they should be powerful enough to do signal processing to do the display, I think, you know, the graphics card in the screen yeah. is a good idea. The, um, you know, the, the audio and the video, all that stuff right. in the screen. Just, just smart enough to be able to provide the interface that they need to, to provide. That's right. Yeah. Boy, talk about separation. Talk about N-tier, huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Spreading around the architecture. And why not? I mean, seriously, there's no reason why you can't do that. We already know how to separate tiers like that. 
Sure. There are technical issues and then there are business issues, right? I mean, LG and Samsung and all the folks who are making these TVs are like, wow, people are putting computers into any, everything and making good money and then building platforms on top of them. I want a piece of that. You know, so, so there's, there's this thing of not just competing technologies where we have these silos of operating systems lining up, but, you know, I, I'm sure that these TV makers are like looking at, you know, the iTunes store and thinking, man, we should be making money selling movies, not those guys. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to have, you know, probably some, some weak attempts at, at trying to do that before things finally settle down. But, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's the thing is everyone wants to have a vertical and that's going to be a real consumer unfriendly environment for a mm, little while. Sure. Well, Josh, I have one more thing for you. Um, I would like you to go to gesturepack.com and uh, check that out. And I'm going to give you a free license for this. And I would like to see what you could come up with in terms of a WPF app that recognizes gestures. Maybe, maybe fun. you don't have, uh, maybe you're not writing a WPF app yourself, but, but if you can come up with the gestures, I'd like to know what, what they are. That was terrific. Now, are we talking about the near, pelvis gestures or no 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 <laughs> please right, the please the don't. actual ones all right yeah okay just thought <laughs> yeah. I'd make sure wait what was that about the right the brain in my pocket what was that yeah right he went awfully dark there <laughs> yeah no 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 we'll we'll stick to far mode <laughs> okay <laughs> it's a deal but check it out i'd really like to know what you think about it I think it's, it's a great idea congrats on the on the launch well thank you very much uh, and thanks for spending this uh, 45 minutes or so with us. And um, it's been enlightening. It's always always good to talk to people such as yourself who can enlighten us. Well, what a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. And we'll see you next time on The Tablet Show. It's not too much, but it means a lot. Just try